0: This is our fourth and final lesson on the principles of faith, lesson number four, and we've entitled this How to Activate Your Faith. It's one thing to have faith, and everybody does. We've proven that quite thoroughly over the last three lessons. Even the pagan that's headed to hell today has faith. The question is how do we activate it? Even the pagan who has faith, though it's not faith in God, he knows how to activate his faith too. He gets up and does something about it. So what we're going to look at in this lesson is how do we activate the faith that we have in Christ? One of the worst things that you could have as a Christian is a head knowledge of Jesus that you do nothing with. And the longer I pastor and the more things I go through or experience or the attacks I come under or families we pastor, minister to, travel, etc., the more I realize how terribly deceived and how easy it is to be deceived just because you know Scripture. Scripture. I want you to hear me for probably the thousandth time. Knowing scripture does not make you safe. Knowing scripture does not make you right with God. It is the doing of the word that justifies you. It is not hearing only lest you deceive yourself. And so this lesson is very critical because we can know all the principles, all the concepts, all the precepts of faith. We can know all the scriptures of faith. We could even stand up and teach it and watch other people be radically blessed by it. But if we're not doing what we know, the book of James is very clear. We are self-deceived. We're not even satanically deceived. The Greek word is unique. It says self-deception. So this lesson is going to be taught so that we are not self-deluded, self-delusional, having a form of godliness but divorcing the power thereof because we have a head knowledge. You wouldn't believe how many folks know the scripture but don't live it. All you have to do is troll on defaceless book and you can see how many folks show off their appendages and their parts and their cleavage and then they say so blessed to be a child of God. You're a self-deluded woman. You're a deranged man to be able to say I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ and then everything you post is just sexual or drunken or lewd. uh, That's a prime example of what we're seeing today. We want to know how to activate our faith. So let's jump into our lesson here. James chapter 2, verses 17, 20, and 26 teach us that faith without works is dead. So there is a work to faith. We're not saved by works. We know that. We are saved by faith. Uh, it is the gift of God. But now that we're born again, there is a work that must be accomplished. Faith must have some action to it. Faith is not something to be sat upon and collected. Now, I joke about I, there's a few things I collect. I collect uh, classic action figures. I have a very impressive mineral and rock and fossil collection. And uh, honestly, Ecclesiastes is so accurate, like the rest of the Bible. What good is there to those that collect stuff except to the putting on a shelf and looking at it? Every time I buy something off of eBay, and I'm so excited to get it, it comes in the mail I, I send whoever to go pick it up at the post office because it never fits in our mailboxes. And I get it and I open it up and I'm happy for about a minute and then I know exactly where it's going in my barrister bookshelf at home to be looked at, the in. Because you can't play with very expensive mineral collections. They're very fragile. And you can't play with classic action figures because they're fragile. Even though I know it's an action figure, they should be called inaction figures. Because all you can do is just take them out, look at them, dust them off, put them back in your barrister bookshelf and close the lid. Same with faith. If you're not doing anything with it, why have it? Because you can't look at it sitting on a shelf. The only way we can see faith in our lives is by action. And that's what James says. You claim you have faith? He says, I'll show you mine. (laughs) Talk is cheap. We have to be acting on faith. This, This is the information age. They call the, the internet the information superhighway. You don't have to hear from God to understand scripture anymore. You can ask Papa Google. But that doesn't mean it's changed your life. Why did David number the troops? Ask Google. And you can have your answer in a tenth of a second. You can have 15,000 answers. And so that doesn't mean that any of them are accurate. But to get the answer from God might take you six months of prayer and fasting. So I say all that to say, let us not deceive ourselves into thinking just because we know something about faith or we know something about God or we studied the scriptures or we've read the Bible in a year that we're doing something with it and for God. That is the critical aspect of this lesson. In this lesson, we will examine Bible ways to act on and activate our faith. Faith through speaking. So the first way we can release or activate faith or, or act on it, manifest it, work it, is through our talk. We, and, and I don't mean just cheap talk. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I go to church. am not talking about that. We're talking about declaring a thing, encouraging yourself. Uh, you can really tell how much faith you have when depression hits you. You can really tell how much faith you have when discouragement hits you. Because the more faith you have, the, the shorter amount of time that thing will rest upon you. Because when depression or discouragement hits you, you'll instantly start speaking. Shut up in Jesus' name. I resist discouragement. I resist depression. You don't have to show off for anybody. This is you in your bedroom. This is you in your car. This is you in the shower. This is you making omelets. Shut up in Jesus' name. I resist you. Ha ha, devil. Uh, The joy of the Lord is my strength. I refuse to be discouraged. I refuse to be despondent. That's how you activate faith. You got to talk. You speak to it. Jesus Christ said, you speak to the mountain. You don't think to the mountain. The Bible says God said when there was darkness in God's life, Genesis 1-2, what did he do? Go make himself three more omelets? When God looked and there was darkness all around God, who is no darkness, who has no shadow of turning, what did God say? Light be. Even God spoke to the darkness. And so we can see the very first manifestation of faith, the very first way you act on it is by talking. We often, when we do talk as Christians, if we're not careful, it'll be to complain and get attention from somebody. It's to go trolling or fishing for affection from someone who cannot help us. And so it's an example of where our faith really is or isn't. You can have all this knowledge of faith, but are you going somewhere with it? We were years ago down on the bayous of Louisiana, and I, I grew up in the swamp lands, a little bit north of swamplands, not like I grew up on a P-row or a stilted house or anything, but we drove through the bayous all the time. Always wanted to ride an airboat, you know, one of those Cajun boats, and so we finally got to do it a couple of years ago and, and go down and take an airboat ride, and we actually caught alligators by hand, which is pretty crazy. I got a picture of me and cousin Phil holding an alligator we caught, and, uh, this guy, the guy we went with, he had a, a boat. Now, if you've ever seen an airboat, it's got that giant fan on the bottom. It runs in about an inch of water. It, they literally are strong enough to go up on land because they're, they're smooth bottom. They, they, they are so flat. They are flat bottom. They can literally cut on a dime. You can be doing 60 miles an hour and turn 180 and not flip. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. So he gets his boat out, and we didn't ride in the big boat, but the one boat he had, they have Chevy big block engines on them. And I said, well, how many horsepower does our boat have? He says, 550, 560 horses. I said, well, what about that one? He said, that one's got 980. A boat with 980 horsepower. And and I said, is that fast? He said, it's the fastest thing on the bayous. I said, are we taking that? He said, you don't want to take that. We're going to go in this one here. And the one we went in was plenty fast. I was uncomfortable because I'm thinking... You sit five or six feet above the water in chairs. He sits like two feet higher than you. And I'm just trying to do all the physics in my mind about we're cutting this thing so tight. Why are we not falling over? But they don't. And we'd go up on land and going down into other bayous and other ponds. And we were down there on Lake Pontchartrain. But he had all that horsepower, but he told us, you don't want any of that. You can't handle it. We claim to have 900 horses, and we do nothing with it. We claim to have all of this, and yet we do nothing with it. We go nowhere. We, we collect all the horsepower, we put it on the back of an airboat, and we park the thing. And all we do is parade people around and show show off our airboat and never really do anything with the air or the potential air thrust. When I tell you, it's the most fun I've ever had uh, uh, in the swamps. I don't know if there's any other fun to be had in the swamps, but to go that fast, we are doing 60 or 70 miles an hour on an inch of water. Uh, we had to wear earmuffs because it's so loud. But faith is the same way. You can talk about it all day long, but until you fire that thing up, it doesn't do you any good. So faith through speaking. The easiest way to activate and release faith is through speaking. The spirit of faith believes, therefore it speaks. Speaking faith is the easiest way to act on your faith. Also, uh, you can do it without having to go anywhere. You can be laid up in your hospital bed. You can be laid up in prison. You can be laid up on your deathbed and open your mouth and change things. How many folks in the Gospels, and we may have a few examples here, they couldn't do anything but cry out, Lord, David, uh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy. They cried out with their mouth. They didn't think with their mind. They didn't click their heels together and wish for Jesus to come heal them. They cried out with their mouth, and Jesus stopped, and he turned to them, and he healed them. So this thing called faith, it helps us if we'll speak it. Speaking faith is the easiest way to act on your faith. Faith without works is dead, and we need to be acting on it. Open your mouth. First Samuel says the, the wicked remain silent in darkness. Don't be quiet as a Christian. In this political arena, we know that uh, a bulk of the reason the nation is the way it is is because the church has been Silent. And so we need to start doing it. At the same time, it's not just being politically active. How much depression do you still fight? How much discouragement do you still fight? You can change all of that by praying, declaring. As David said, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He spoke to himself. We have two whole Psalms that were written to nothing but himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, hope in God? So you can do this. So look at our first example here. God spoke creation into existence. That's the faith of God. That's the God kind of faith. He said, let there be, and there was. Let there be light, there was light. He said, let there be trees. Trees are still producing today. His faith, his infinite faith, because he's God, he said, trees be, and we have a billion types of trees that are still propagating themselves to this day. He said, light be, and the physicists tell us light is still expanding. He said, uh... Let there be creatures and creeping things, and they're still creatureing and creeping and reproducing after their own kind. He said, let there be seed time and harvest, and it still is. That's how powerful faith is. Now, we don't have it like God had it because we're finite, but he's infinite. But we see the first demonstration of faith in Genesis 1-2. Abraham trusted God and said, I and the lad will return again. What an example of faith. Before he did anything, he said it. Uh, This is when he said he knew he was going to have to go sacrifice his son, but he said, I and the lad will return again. We're coming back. It's also worth pointing out the lad wouldn't be an infant or a child. He'd be probably a teenager in his early 20s. Try killing someone you've been attached to for 15 to 25 years. And try to talk him into surrendering that. Stay still, son. I've got to get this dagger out and plunge it into your chest or slit your throat with it, one. Because that's what the sacrifice called for. I look at our next example. The Israelites and the ten spies did not have faith in God, and their mouths said so. So they were in faith, just anti-God faith. What did they believe? They believed they were grasshoppers in their own sights. That comes back to that discouragement thing. You don't have to be grasshoppers in your own sight. But they declared what they believed, and so they were acting in faith. Their faith spoke first, then it acted. We don't think we can do it. And we, we believe that so strongly, we're going to prove it to you. We're not going to do anything. Which would be probably 50% of the body of Christ today. We don't believe we can have victory. We don't believe we can do it. We don't believe we can change. And just to prove how strong we believe it, we're not going to make any difference in our own life, in our own soul. Joshua and Caleb believed God and they declared so and their faith was so strong 40 years later they got to see the promised land they said we are well able their faith was so strong that even in their 80s they went and did what they believed they could do in their 40s faith only only acts as as old as it believes it is the Bible says are the the, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their youth they shall renew their strength like eagles Uh, My wife and I, even though we're just in our 30s, we pray, Lord, we thank you for quickening our flesh and renewing our youth. You pray that, you can be 100 years old and look 45. Or, uh, what what was the guy? We were witnessing one time uh, here going door-to-door evangelism, and uh, we met a man on this front porch, and we witnessed to him. And he was a Christian. He went to one of the local churches. And this guy looked like Methuselah. He was old as dirt. And I said, well, sir, how old are you? Just because I want to make small talk with him. He said, well, guess how old I am. And I said, I don't know. I was going to lowball it just to be kind, you know, because I know how old people are. They're real sensitive about that old thing. And I said, I don't know, sir. I'm here. I'm lowballing. You look about 85. That was lowballing. He said, I think he said 63. (laughs) And I remember going, It's like just a few years older than my dad. This guy looked like death warmed over, regenerated, and then a mummy came out. That's just how horrible this man looked because he lived a very, very dirty, sinful life. A life very much consumed of poverty and lack, and it, it shone on him. But you don't have to be that way. You can be like Joshua and Caleb, who for 40 years said, we're well able. And at the age of 85, Caleb said, I'm just as strong today as I was then. To go out and to come in Give me my mountain You don't even have to send any help with me I'll kill the giants myself And that's what happened And he got his mountain The three Hebrew boys declared their faith to Nebuchadnezzar How much of a faith are we declaring are we, are we relegating it to a bumper sticker Or a post on Facebook Or some, uh, some cheesy tattoo on the back of our neck Wrist, hand, lower back Or some anklet That's not a declaration of faith now, the world, that's, that's probably why we're in the condition we're in. We relegated our Christian faith to bumper stickers and T-shirts alone rather than declaring with our mouth. Who, he who talks the most gets the most attention. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. We need to be loud and vocal about it. You'll find out most of your opposition is pretty spineless. Just be louder and a little bit more confident than them, and they'll back down. So they declared their faith to Nebuchadnezzar, who was killing everybody who wouldn't worship him. And they said, our God whom we serve, as if to say, he's not you. He is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. (laughs) This is a king they respected. They served him. He He had promoted them to governors, a governor's position, these three Hebrew young men. But they said, we love you, sir. We respect you, and we do our work with all of our diligence, but we're not worshiping you. So go ahead and throw us in the furnace. Our God will deliver us. And that's what happened. 1 Timothy 6 says, The good fight of faith requires you to confess a good confession before one person. No. It says before many witnesses. Now this reminds me of what Jesus Christ said. If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you deny me on earth, I'll deny you before my Father. That's a a little sobering thing. We're we're to confess a good confession before many witnesses. Make sure everybody around you knows where you stand. That is faith. Make sure your testimony is not discouragement, depression. Make sure it's not lust. Make sure it's not bossiness, rudeness, arrogance. Make sure it's not condescending. Make sure they know where you stand with Jesus Christ. Make sure that you have so much going that you encourage everybody else around you. Make sure that you're able to to, uh, give a word in due season. As uh, Revelation says, the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. We can prophesy everywhere we go. Just walking around folks and just being so full of the testimony of Jesus. this um, This is what the scientists call positive feedback. The more you talk about Jesus, the more you just talk about Jesus. But if you start to close out the spigot, it starts to really dry up on you. We, you know, we're, we want to make sure we're giving folks the life of Jesus everywhere we go. You're, every time you're around somebody, you're looking for an opportunity to kind of find entrance. You know, I went to gymnastics this week with my little girl, and the guy next to me was there with his little kid, and he had Captain America socks on. That's a good entrance. And I was thinking I was debating him and his wife, who do I go after him or his wife? Then I saw his wife had an LSU shirt on. Oh, there's another entrance. And so you're always looking for an opportunity to share your faith. And find out, are they born again? I don't care about politics. I want to know are you hellbound or not. And so we do that. And I know I look at you, most of you already do this anyway. But we're going to have to do it even more. Too many Christians, we, we, we live in small town America. The kind of Christians that dominate a lot of our towns are the exact reason folks don't go to church. Because they're hypocrites. Now we don't want to be that way. You know, we're talking about go to church on Sunday morning and live like a pig on Facebook or live like a pig in the real world and then go back to church or even find a church because it's easy. You don't find a church because it's easy. You go to church because it's hard and it makes you what you need to be. You have to have discipline. And so we want to make sure we're not, as some Christians who are the stumbling block, if nobody knows you're a Christian but you, you're probably not a Christian. <laughs> And if you've got to convince people you're a Christian, you're probably not a Christian. But you can be. By Christian, I mean Christ-like. Amen. All right, this is not preaching the way I wanted it to. It's supposed to just be teaching because it's Sunday school, but I don't know. Hebrews exhorts us to hold fast our profession of faith. So hold fast to it. Don't let go of it. Don't let your mouth grow silent. You ought to live this thing out loud. Hebrews 11 says, the heroes of faith died in faith, confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Doesn't that sound like a nut job? Everywhere you go, I'm not from here. Yeah, you are. I I was there when you were born, son. Uh, You don't understand. I'm just a pilgrim. Pilgrims shoot turkeys and wear funny hats and shoot guns that look like trumpets at the end. No, you don't get it. I'm a sojourner. I don't even know what a sojourner is. Well, I was one of those. And I'm a pilgrim, and this is not my land. Yeah, it is. We wrote a song about it. Guthrie wrote a song about This land is my land. Do land. you know he was a communist? And that's a socialist song about sharing everything. This land was made for you and me. That was God's land. We inhabit it because he led us. We drove the Indians out because they were pagans. That's just another. I think it was Arlo Guthrie wrote that one, communist. He was actually part of a, a book called Socialist Songs. You didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of goofy when you go around saying, I'm not from here. But the New Testament says the same thing. We're in this world, but not of it. We are citizens of heaven and that we have a true country, our father's land. The Russians talk about motherland. We have our father's land because mother has nothing to do with any of it. That's a Gaia, the earth goddess. She's from the pit of hell. We have a father, a father begat us, no mother begat us. We have a father of spirits who begat us, according to Hebrews. So we can be like the early fathers and confess our faith and say, I'm, I'm an American, but truly my citizenship's in heaven. And you always look to where you're truly from. And you always act like where you're truly from. When, uh, when, you go, when I go overseas, maybe you've never been. If you want to, you can and preach the gospel. You don't really realize how American you are till you go overseas. And then even over there, you can't cover it up enough and I try. I try to be a chameleon everywhere I go. I'm the least successful in Africa because I'm so white, but I try to adapt as quickly as I can because I don't want to stick out. I don't want my Americanism to be a distraction, and I don't want to be listened to more because I'm an American. I want to be listened to because I have the gospel to bring, but it doesn't matter where I go. uh, The American in me comes out, and you just can't get it out of you, so it should be with you as a Christian. The darker the place you go into, the more your light should shine and the more you should stick out. And so I really question Christians who are able to go into dark places and the darkness can't even recognize them as light. You, You are more darkness than you are light. Uh, our new friend, uh, Reverend Mike Fitzgerald, who actually will be with us in either August or September, he's the 25-year missionary to Iceland. He's from Bristol, Tennessee. He's half Icelandic, but he's lived. he was raised in Iceland as a boy and then went back. God called him back to Iceland 25 years ago to start a radio station. So he's been in Iceland 25 years now, and he speaks nearly flawless Icelandic. And can, he passes himself off as an Icelander because his accent is that flawless, and his grasp of that language is so beautiful. But once he gets to talking with them, and they say, well, what do you do? And he tells them, I'm with the Linden radio station. And, and, well, where are you from? You know, how long have you been doing that? Well, we moved here 25 years ago. From where? From America. Oh, there was something I could detect in your language. It's only after the fact. Totally, almost completely passed himself off as an Icelander, until he mentioned, well, I'm from America. Then everybody, people say, that. see, there was something just not quite right there. And I think we've all met somebody whose English is flawless, and yet there's just a couple of consonants or syllables or mannerisms. And then you say, well, where are you really from? And then you find out they're from the UK or they're from Australia or they moved here from Peru as a two-year-old or a five-year-old. And you say, see, you can't disguise where you're really from. Even a missionary that's half Icelandic, spent the first half of his life in America, the last half of his life in Iceland, even he cannot completely mask that he's an American. What does it say about a Christian that can mask their Christianity? I think it tells me that maybe they're not one at all. Or they have worked so hard to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, they have taken their little light of theirs and hidden it from him. We don't wanna be like that. We confess boldly and proudly we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We are of this world, in this world, but we are not of it. One day we will die and leave this place and go to our true country, our Father's land, which really excites me, not to die, but that even in this life, death is a promotion. If you're a pagan, this is the best life you get. If you're a Christian, this is the worst your life will ever get. Amen. Faith is activated and released the moment you open your mouth. That just kills me. That's faith. You shouldn't say such foolish things. I'm just so discouraged. Nobody likes me. It's so hard. There's faith. Have what you say. Eat it up. Yum, yum. Or you can say, it's difficult, but I've got the victory. You just watch it. This is just making me stronger. You know, if you're always dialing your life back to make it easier, in the end, you're just a blob of muscle and bone laying on the floor drooling on yourself. They say, you know, you've seen the footage of the moon. Landing, and those guys would jump 25 and 30 feet with 150 pounds on them, maybe more than that. I don't know how much the moon suit wore, but you—we've all seen the footage. Unless you're one of the conspiracy theorists who thinks that was filmed somewhere in Arizona, uh, they could jump so far because they had had a gravity seven times heavier than that on their body their whole life. So they went to a place easy like the moon, and they could drive a golf ball a mile, which they did. And then they could, even that little lunar rover could jump. You know, it'd hit it and it would jump because the gravity is so less. The problem is if they stayed there, their body would become so weak, by the time they came home to the, the, the world, uh, they wouldn't be able to function. That's the problem with easy churches. You can go there having left a strong church and be able to feel like Superman, but you stay there long enough and you'll be a weak, drooling pile of flesh. Amen. So I say, throw some rocks in my backpack, load me down, it makes my legs stronger, and I can do more. Faith through obedience. So here's another way to activate and release faith because faith in our head is nothing but a collection of knickknacks on a bookshelf. We have to be able to act on this thing. We can't just sit on it. Faith is never meant to be theoretical. Faith also obeys God through action. Faith honors God by obeying his will and word. When God gives a direct order, Whether through the Bible, the Holy Spirit, or the preaching of the Word, faith will obey it. I'm going to read that again. When God gives a direct order through the Bible, a direct order through the Holy Spirit, a direct order through the preaching of God's Word, faith will obey it. We obey God. We obey the Word. We forgive. We confess the Word. We witness. We come to church. Uh, We study our Bibles. Faith is a doer. You'll obey what you trust. So what do you trust? And let me tell you this, whenever you're squeezed, you'll always run to your God first. Now, unfortunately, a lot of Americans have a lot of faith in the book, the Facebook, because that's exactly where they run when things get tough. And they have a lot of faith in the encouragement of total strangers on Facebook to give them a thumbs up. Because that's exactly where they go trolling for comfort when things get tough. But if you're a Christian and you trust in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, when you get decked in the face by the world system and by the calamity of the day, you say, Father, Jesus, help me. Amen. I'm getting to where I'm more and more against Facebook just simply because it just brings the worst out of everybody. There is some good going on. But you've got to have good in you first for it to happen on Facebook. I like what my pastor said about Facebook. He said, I, I leave social media alone. It's for children. <laughs> I love that. And, of course, Papa John said, Facebook is for narcissistic cowards. That's a little extreme, but I know what he's saying. There is some good going on Facebook, but it's got to be in you first to come out on Facebook. Facebook is a magnifying glass. It just brings out what's already in you. We ought to be trusting in Jesus more and more and more. He's our helper. So let's look at some, uh, some examples of faith obeying God. Noah built an ark at God's command. That was faith. And he didn't hear from God until it was finished. Can you imagine God saying, build me a boat. I'll come back and check on you when it's done 120 years from now. If we'd started that project eight years ago when I took over this church, where would we be in the scheme of things? How, how big would our church be? Noah's church was only eight members. And that was all nepotism. It was all sons and daughters-in-law. And apparently they didn't have time to have a family. They were too busy building a boat because nobody, 120 years of sons and daughters-in-laws and no grandkids. Figure that out because only eight folks got on that boat. And then after that, they started having kids. just an observation no nothing profound there except wow he had sex for 120 years and didn't have any kids how did that happen maybe the Lord closed up their womb to keep them focused on the mission at hand Abraham left his homeland at God's command how many of us are willing to leave home at God's command and leave family behind if the Lord were to ask us to now we know God wants our family saved but sometimes you got to leave them for them to get saved Moses challenged the greatest king of his day at God's command. How would you like it if the Lord spoke to you and said, go point your finger in the face of the president and tell him he's doomed and I'm coming after him? I don't think we'd want to do that. Actually, in this day and age, we'd all say, send me. I'll go. (laughs) Gideon destroyed his father's pagan idols at God's command. Nowadays, he has trouble getting Christians to destroy their pagan idols, much less their father's. But it was an act of obedience. Numerous battles were won when they fought as God commanded. You can't fight battles as you want to. Your wisdom doesn't always get it done. David learned that. He was the greatest military tactician uh, of his day, probably for the last 5,000 years. And yet he learned, I only win because I fight when God says fight. Wisdom says, gather up every horse and chariot you have and and attack. God said, dig some troughs, fill them full of water. God said, wait till you hear the rustling of the mulberry bushes. God said, sling in five stones. God said, hide. God said, run. God said, face. God said, mount up, take 400. It's always something different. What that requires is a constant relationship with God to get the current directive. Peter preached to the Gentiles at God's command. John wrote the revelation at God's command. The lame at the gate beautiful arose at Peter's command. This is what happens in this day and age when nobody wants to be commanded? You will not see miracles until you can obey commands. God does not work miracles for lawless scoundrels. For those that do what they want, when they want, as they want. As we point out, nine principles in the Satanic Bible. The first principle, they won't call them commandments. But the first principle of the Satanic Bible is do as you want. God does not honor that. Well, I just think that God doesn't ask you to think. He asks you to obey. (laughs) Well, I have a better idea. God never asked for a better idea. That would be to say that the Lord's idea was flawed somehow. I don't think that's it either. Peter laid down his net at the Lord's command. Peter and Andrew became fishers of men at the Lord's command. See, faith is quick to obey God and his will for our lives. If you want your life to get better, you got to be willing to obey what God is saying. That takes faith because if God's telling you to do something, chances are it's not what you're currently doing. And if you're having trouble doing it, it is certainly because it's not what you're currently doing, and so it's going to require faith to get yourself out of that life rut. But God will be there to help you. I was talking with somebody this week, and he was telling me about one of his coworkers, and I his coworker, goes to church, but it's one of these little lukewarm milk toast churches. Uh, you know the one that you just kind of shake and it all falls apart. And he says, "That guy criticizes me for going to my church obeying the preaching, living around the local church. And he said, I've come to realize when I just shut up and started obeying God, my life got better. And he said, he wants to put me down because my life is getting better and he thinks I'm a little follower and a lemming. And he said, I am, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And it makes my life better. This guy, the other guy goes to church but doesn't follow anything. So his church does him no good. I want you to see that when we obey God through the scriptures, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, it does nothing but benefit us. Us obeying God does nothing for God. God is God. He is the all-sufficient, self-sufficient one. He needs nothing. Now, if it does anything, it glorifies him. But you and I both know God could wipe planet Earth off like that, and he would still be God, and the angels would still glorify him. So if he gives us a command, it's going to benefit us. It's going to be hard on us. It's going to challenge us. It's going to stretch us. But in the end, it's going to be for our better. Just like the doctor gives you medicine, it's going to make you sick. It's going to make your stomach hurt. But in the end, it will make you better. There are some side effects called uh, you're going to have to swallow your pride. You're going to have to let some friends go. But in the end, you'll be better. We trust doctors more than we trust God. Because we've tasted and seen that they're good. And the Bible tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Father knows best. Just trust him and obey him. He will take care of you. Faith through faith, all right? So we had faith through speaking, faith through obedience. Now we activate faith through faith. What in the world does that mean? That was me trying to scratch up a title for this other phenomenon for how we act on faith. Sometimes faith just steps out and does something, though there is no command or instruction. Because faith is of the heart, we often act on the things that are in our hearts, and this too is faith. We must be careful here because not everything in our hearts is godly or God-pleasing. And so this is an element of faith where there's not a scripture for it. And we don't have the Holy Spirit telling us to do it. And we don't necessarily need to command or say anything. But it might be something like, I, I look at Wendell and my heart just compels me to bless him with a pair of shoes. And I just step out in faith and do that. The Bible didn't tell me to buy him shoes. I, actually, I, I bought a pastor some shoes in South Africa one time. I don't know if it offended him, but his name is Pastor Trevor. He's friends of ours. And I, we'd been around him a couple of times. And so uh, I don't know if it was two trips ago or when. I looked at him, and, and he's a pastor. He's a holy man of God. His wife, Miss Annie, is wonderful. His little girl, her name escapes me now, cute little girl, they're just precious. I looked down, and he had on some nice British wingtips, but they had, his big toe was sticking through the top of him. I said, Pastor Trevor, that is unacceptable. And I threw him a big chunk of money. I said, go buy you some good shoes, man, just to bless them. Didn't have the Holy Spirit prompting me. And you might say you had Scripture doing it, but if you, if you buy shoes for people based on the Scripture, you've got to buy everybody's shoes. But uh, biblically, the Bible says you're to shod your own feet. And so that's just an example of your faith just compelling you just to step out and do it. So let's look at this here. Many patriarchs were moved by their hearts to build altars to God. God didn't tell them to build an altar, but God had done something for him or, or, or her or them. And so their hearts just said, I'm going to build an altar. I want to worship God here. And they built an altar. They wanted to honor God and consecrate themselves to him. This was an act of faith. We don't build altars today, but what we might do is um, we, might, we might sow an offering uh, if a minister or God touched us and said, Lord, I just want to do something for you. Uh, uh, I just want to. And so you send money to a missionary or something. Or you might, God does something and you just want to come to church during the middle of the week and just come to the altar and pray and worship God at the altar just something your heart compels you to do and you act on it. I would never tell anybody to quench or stifle what's in their heart to honor God. The widow's might is an example of this thing. Her heart just compelled her to give all that she had. Jonathan set his heart to defeat the Philistines and his armor bearer supported him. That's a ministry of helps. They acted on their heart and were victorious. God didn't tell them to go attack the Philistines. But the Philistines were the proven enemy. And, they, and Jonathan said, my job is to wipe out the enemy. What do you think, armor bearer? Can we do it? And the armor bearer said, my heart's with you. Whatever you want to do, I'll help you. And it was just an act of faith. You, get, you guarantee the armor bearer had no vision except just don't die. Amen. And because they, they were willing to trust God and step out in faith, they did. And God provided the victory. The two of them made a whole garrison of Philistines run away in fear. David's heart moved him to build a temple for God He had no commandment The Lord didn't ask him to it, it just came upon David's heart The Bible tells us one day He said, Lord, it's not right Look at my beautiful house of cedar Look at these, these, these palaces I've built for myself And you, Lord, you dwell in a house of tents You dwell in a tabernacle of fabric Lord, it's not right You are the great God Jehovah And you ought to dwell in the most magnificent thing man has ever seen. His heart, his heart couldn't handle it. That God was, that he was living better than God. Now he has an awesome heart there, but we see the fallacy. Since when, and the Lord said, since when do I need a place to dwell? The earth is my footstool and you want to build me a house? And he said, when have I at any time asked Moses or the prophets to build me a house? But then the Lord said, yet I will honor you. And the Bible lets us know the Lord gave him a blueprint for the temple in the spirit. And the temple blueprint that God gave David is exactly what Ezekiel saw in his vision of heaven. So what the Lord actually did was gave David a vision of heaven and how the Lord's temple looks in heaven. And, the, and David set up the rest of his life storing money to reproduce a little model of that on earth. All because of his heart said, Lord, it's not right to have a nicer house than you. Lord, it's not right I have a nicer house than you. That was all an action of faith. And because of that, we have Solomon's temple. Because of that, we have all the greatness of Zerubbabel's temple. We, because of that, we have the greatness of Herod's temple. And because of all that, we now have the teaching that we are the temple. All of it kicked off because David's heart said, God ought to live in a nicer place than me. And it was a total action of heart. All of it we see is in a matter of honoring God. And all of our hearts... I ought to be looking for a better way to honor God. God ought to have the highest place of honor in our life. And when he does, your heart will do all sorts of stuff for him. That'll probably be even outside the Bible. You know, there's not not a, a commandment in the Bible that says, give the Lord a picture colored with your left hand scribble scrabble offering. But kids do that all the time. My little girl, uh, We have the little piggy bank and I'm teaching her quarters, nickels, dimes, and pennies. The Lord supplies her needs to plenty. And so I always collect change and she's learning money and how to put it in there. And it's almost full. I said, what are we going to do when it's full, honey? What do you want to do with your money when it's full? She said, give it to Jesus. Because mom and dad buy everything else apparently, but we got to start teaching how to save money. But she just wants to give it all to Jesus because that's what she does with money. She just wants to honor God. Hopefully we do too. David poured out... Water from the well at Bethlehem is a libation offering. He just kind of was overheard saying, boy, i sure I'm thirsty. I sure would like water from my hometown well. His mighty men of valor heard that, and they snuck and risked their life to get him a little boda or wine flask of water. And David gets it, and it's so valuable to him because it's the it's the price of his men's lives. He says, I can't drink this. It's not proper, so I'll just pour it out. But it was a worship. It was a sacrifice. It was an offering. It's, it's a Levitical libation. Libation means a, a, a liquid offering where you pour it out. It's so valuable that you pour it out and offering it up to God. Four lepers were motivated by their faith to go up against the Syrian camp. They risked their lives, though they had nothing to lose. Famous verse says, why sit we here and die? If we sit here, we die of starvation. If we go in, we might die, but at least maybe that might give us something to eat before we die. But why sit we here and die? God didn't give them a commandment. They just were too motivated by faith to sit still and die which is a good sermon to preach to a lot of lazy Christians why sit you here and die get up and do something more for God the woman with the issue of blood sought Jesus for healing after she had learned uh, he was healing people she acted on the faith in her heart the Bible says, uh, the Lord said thy faith hath healed thee, be of good cheer woman thy faith hath saved thee she had no commandment, actually she was violating the commandment because she was a Jewess And she had an issue with blood. She was uh, ceremonially unclean and could not come into the camp until she was healed. Much less to come and touch a rabbi or a Jewish leader. She broke commandments to act on her faith. Go figure that one out doctrinally. John Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas. There's faith. Bad faith. Even when you disobey God, you're in faith. You disobey God believing it's the better way. Abandoning your post, you do it in faith, believing it's the better way. You, we talk ourselves into some of the most ludicrous and stupid behavior, convinced that we have a better way than the scriptures, convinced that God is a liar and that he won't come through for us if we were to stay faithful to him. John Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas, and because of that, Paul wouldn't use him for another 20 years. It took Paul, excuse me, John Mark, 20 years to pick up where he left off with, in the eyes of Paul's ministry. Anybody want to waste 20 years of their life? No. So just sit in your place and keep serving God and the Lord will promote you. Demas forsook Paul at the end of Paul's ministry, having loved this present world more than the ministry. That took faith too, to abandon Paul when just a few months before, Demas has the audacity to speak up while Paul's writing a letter to Philemon and say, hey, tell him I said hello. Demas greeteth thee. Demas is out of here in six months. Demas is betraying me and abandoning me. That took faith, though. It was in his heart and he acted on it. Offerings are to be given based on the faith in our heart and how our hearts motivate us to give. There's an example. The Bible tells us to give, but your heart tells you how much. Uh, It's not my job to tell you how much to give beyond the tithe. The tithe is a biblical command, so I can say 10%, but anything above and beyond that is between you, your heart, and the Lord God Almighty. But I would challenge you, if you're serving God, you should always be stretching yourself. Not not that every offering bankrupts you, every offering stretches you, but you ought to have seasons of stretching yourself because the Lord will stretch you. He'll always ask you to do better. We will act on whatever is in our heart because faith acts and faith is of the heart. How come some Christians will sacrifice money for NASCAR but not a missionary? That's their faith. How come they'll go out of their way? They'll drive an hour and a half to go to a Titans game on a Sunday, but they won't drive 15 minutes to go to church Sunday night. That's their faith. Now, that's spineless faith. That's shameful faith, but it is faith. We will act on whatever's in our heart. Our faith has been given us to please Jesus and honor him. He doesn't have a problem if you go to a Titans game, you just don't skip church to do it. That's why they invented uh, Monday Night Football. Amen. We must examine the content. Besides that, the Titans aren't good. Haven't been good since 2000. Just saying. They're my team. I just don't wear their stuff anymore. We must examine the contents of our heart and make sure our faith lines up with what God is saying and doing. Make sure your faith is in line with the word because you all, every one of us operates in faith every day. We're sometimes on the rails of God's word. Sometimes we're off the rails, but it's all faith. Let's make sure that in order for your life to finish its course and in order for your life and your destiny to make the concourse that says, well done, good and faithful servant, you've got to make sure your faith stays in line with God's word. It's not always easy on the flesh. Sometimes you take those corners and your flesh wants to jump off and do its own thing. But stay in line with God's word and you'll watch your life go further than Cookful could ever dream for you. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for these lessons on faith. I pray, Lord, that these would touch many lives through our pod school and our podcasting. Father, may this this word not return to you void, but may it accomplish everything you purposed. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to glorify you with our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.